This is the, the impetus for the Sunday school lesson this morning. I'm going to read a few verses here from Romans, uh, talk a little bit about them, and turn several places in the Bible this morning after we introduce the topic by reading here. Romans chapter 5, verse number 20. Verses you ought to be familiar with. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. The Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And we're not going to take the time to trace that truth through Scripture, but the purpose of the law is to define sin, to give man knowledge of sin, to reveal to man his sinful condition, to show that our sin is not just small, but Romans 7 says it is exceeding sinful, to show us how bad we are in God's sight. The law entered that the offense might abound. Well, you know, I'm a sinner, but I've never killed anybody. You hear that when you witness. I'm a sinner, but I've never committed murder. I've never robbed a bank. I've never committed adultery. I've never... And people will list the things, the horrible, heinous crimes they haven't committed in an attempt to justify themselves by saying, I'm really not all that bad. But the reason they have the idea they're not all that bad is they're they're basing their thoughts on a standard that they came up with in their minds. I'm not all that bad because I didn't do X, Y, and Z that I consider to be horribly, exceedingly sinful. But the law comes and says, no, God said don't lie. How many times have you done that? The law says obey your parents. How many times did you break that commandment. Hey, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How often do you fail in that area? The law makes our sin exceeding sinful. The law stops our mouths. It condemns all the world as guilty before God. That's a very important concept. But it only leads, that, not just the bad news, but it leads into really great news. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The law is given to show us how horribly sinful we are, how wretched and depraved we are. How much we are in need of a Savior, but all of that is simply to prepare us for the wonderful news that God is gracious, that God is forgiving, that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate penalty for our sins, and we can be saved by the grace of God. This is not just in Romans 5, this is all through the Old Testament or all through the New Testament. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified. By faith, more of the law entered, the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It didn't matter if you were a murderer. It didn't matter if you were. It, it does matter. But it's not outside the realm of God's forgiveness. We understand all those things. Verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So, The wages of sin is death. We are sinners. We're going to die. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We can receive God's grace. It can cover and cleanse and forgive all of our sins that the law just showed us that we had. And that's wonderful gospel truth. If you're saved, it's because you have some level of understanding of these things and you've received that gift of God's grace. And isn't it a blessing to have eternal life. Now, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin 
that grace may abound. Here's the question from lost people who don't understand what we just discussed from Romans 5, 20 and 21. Are you saying that God can forgive me of my sins and I can just live any way that I want to? Because we had conversations over and over and over again with Mormons in Salt Lake City, and we tried to point out to them there is a difference between what the Bible says and what the Book of Mormon says. The Bible says you're saved by grace through faith, and it not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Book of Mormon says this, 2 Nephi 25-23, we know that by grace we are saved after all that we can do. Does that sound different to you? It sounds completely opposite, completely contradictory to me. One says, grace, you can't do anything. That's why you need grace. The other says, God's grace kicks in after you do everything you can. And it was impossible to get these people to see that there, were, there was a difference between those two statements. I would try to emphasize what the Bible presents as saving grace is something where what you do plays zero part in your salvation. And yet you have a book that teaches and a religion that teaches that you have to do everything you can in order to be a candidate for God's grace, which really disqualifies all of us, doesn't it? Who can honestly say, whether they're Mormon or Baptist or anything else, I have done all that I can do. They would say, well, that's not what it means. Well, well, then why use those words? Words mean things. And God says what He means, and He means what He says. And if you've got a book that doesn't mean what it says, it didn't come from God. Say by grace through faith, after all that we can do. So you're saying that every time you sinned, it was because you just couldn't have done any better. You sinned, but it really wasn't your fault. <laughs> I don't, I'm not buying that. I don't believe that. So we would have these conversations and it would always come back to, you know, yes, I, I'm thankful for God's grace. Yes, I need God's grace, but you've got to do your best. You've got to do something. You've got to, and it, 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 it's a misunderstanding of the fact that God's grace saving us does not mean that we can just live however we want to and it doesn't matter. Because that is the misunderstanding that lost people have of the gospel message. Are you telling me that because Jesus died for my sins, he can forgive all of my sins, and then I can just sin however much I want? That's how religious people interpret the gospel. You know why they interpret the gospel that way? Because they're lost. And because what they want to do is sin. Because they're not saved. If you would get saved and God's grace would take control of your life, then you wouldn't want to sin so much anymore. There'd be part of you that still wants to, but another part that actually wants to do what's right, what pleases God. And the reason they, they, they think that if I'm saved by God's grace, then I'll just go out and I'll sin to the max is because what they really want to do is sin to the max because they're unsaved. Okay? But this is, is not only an argument that lost people bank. Now the answer is obvious. Verse number two, Romans six, God forbid. Of course the grace of God doesn't mean that. But it's not only an argument that lost people make. Come to Jude, right before Revelation, next to last book in the Bible. Penultimate, I think is the word that means that. Jude chapter one. 
verse number 3. Jude chapter 1 and verse number 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Okay? Verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were ordained, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So there would be men who would come into the church and turn the grace of God. They would creep into the church, crept in unawares. And would turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Do you know what lasciviousness is? It is unbridled lust. It is just living after the flesh. It is the mindset that says, if it feels good, do it. That is lasciviousness. Now, what are they using to justify a lifestyle of lasciviousness in Jude chapter 1 verse 4. There are people in the church who will use the grace of God as an excuse to let their lusts run wild. <laughs> to live however they want to live. They will turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. So there are lost people that misunderstand the grace of God as a, a, a motivation to live a life of sin. There are also people in churches who perhaps have received that grace of God and have been saved by the grace of God, but have this mindset that all my sin is under the blood, that the grace of God abounds further than my sin abounds, so it really doesn't matter how much I sin, the grace of God is still there and always there. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin, so I'm really not all that worried about the sin in my life. That is a prevalent attitude, not just in lost Mormons, but unfortunately in some saved independent Baptists. And it is important that we understand and we be able to answer that question in a doctrinal fashion uh, that we know the truth intellectually from the Scripture that invalidates that reasoning. But looking at these verses is also very applicable to our lives and challenging to us individually. <laughs> what we want to cover for the Sunday School lesson this morning, it might take longer than this morning, and, and, and very basic principles, and we talk about them all the time, but just want to lump it all together and focus on it here for a week or two. Why it matters how we live. Why it matters how we live. I'm not certain that title is constructed in a way that is grammatically correct, but it seems more forceful sometimes when you don't follow proper laws of grammar. And we can all understand what the topic is. Why it matters how we live. Because people who misunderstand the grace of God are saying, well, then I can get saved by grace and it doesn't matter how I live. That is not true. You can get saved by grace, but it does matter how we live. And five words that are going to summarize the reasons for that from the Bible. And we'll take them in order. The first is consequences. The second is rewards. The third is testimony. The fourth is gratitude. And the fifth is assurance. Let's look at the Bible, why it matters how we live, even though we're saved and kept by the grace of God. Come to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. There, I think, yeah, I think you picked up the notes with your bulletin as you came in this morning. 
fill in those points and then make some notes out beside these references if you would. The first matter, the first reason why it matters how we live, even though we're saved by grace, is that there are consequences for our actions. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7. The Bible says, be not deceived. And it says that in a lot of places. In a lot of different ways because there is a lot of deception and it is easy for us to be deceived because the Bible says our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. What is one of the ways the world, the flesh, the devil will seek to deceive us? Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. Verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Every choice we make carries consequences. Every action we take carries consequences. The reason why it matters how we live is that we're going to have to deal with the consequences of all of those decisions, okay? Yes, I am saved by the grace of God and God's grace abounds further than my sin. Yes, my sin won't take me to hell anymore because I am covered by the blood of Jesus. But if I live in sin, I'm going to have to deal with the results of that sin. Judicially, it's taken care of. In eternity, it's taken care of. The, the, the eternal penalty of my sin is eradicated by the death of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That's the grace of God. But the temporal, daily consequence of sin in this life is very real. And it's something that we've got to take in mind as we decide each and every day how it is I'm going to live this life, what attitude I'm going to carry through the day, what I'm going to do for Jesus Christ or refuse to do for Jesus Christ. Whatever I sow, I'm going to have to reap. You can make your choice. You can choose what you think. You can choose what you say. You can choose what you do. You cannot choose the outcome of those decisions. So consequences are a strong motivator for obedience because obedience to God carries blessing and disobedience to God carries everything else that you don't want to experience. That's the truth from the scripture. That's the truth from history. That's the truth that you've experienced in your life to this point. Let us uh, allow that to motivate us. Let's look at some other scriptures. Numbers uh, 32 and verse 23. Numbers 32 and verse number 23. Old Testament scripture, but eternal universal truth. Numbers 32, 23 says, But if ye will not do so, behold... Ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. It, it's interesting to notice it does not say be sure that God will find you out. It is not that God personally necessarily is the one who is going to judge every sin 
and is going to bring immediate consequence for every sin. The Bible says your sin is the one that is going to inflict the punishment. Whatever you sow, you are going to reap. So God designed the universe in this way. God set this thing in motion, but when we sin and then consequences come from our sin, it's not God that did that to us. It's sin that did that to us. And be sure your sin will find you out. I didn't write down the reference in your notes, but there's a good cross reference for Numbers 32:23. It's Pro- for Numbers 32:23. It's Proverbs 13:20, I believe. Proverbs 13:20. Let me look it up real quick to make sure I give you the right reference. It says, "Evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid." It's Proverbs 13:21. Proverbs 13:21. Evil pursueth sinners. But the righteous good should be repaid. Do you know what evil is? Evil is not sin. There's a, there's a little bit of a difference. When evil is used in the Bible as a noun, most often it carries the connotation not of sin itself, but of the result and consequence of sin. Evil is what happens because of our sin. And the Bible says evil pursueth sinners. When I disobey God, when I live contrary to Scripture, the result and consequence of that is going to be tracking me down. But to the righteous, good shall be repaid. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. This is an important principle. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Again, Old Testament Scriptures, but eternal truths. Deuteronomy 10 and verse number 13. The Bible says Deuteronomy 10 verse uh, start in verse 12. And now, Israel, what the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. Verse 13, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Okay? Why did God give us rules to live by? If it doesn't matter how we live, Why do we have a Bible full of instructions? I uh, I, I forget who gave me this illustration. I've used it once before. Humor me again. You can fit all the Bible verses it takes to know how to be saved on a 3 by 5 inch index card. I mean, seriously, salvation is that simple. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Call on Him. That's the gospel. You can fit those verses on one small little postcard. But God gave us 66 books, 1,189 chapters. I forget how many verses and words. A lot more than an index card. You can spend your whole life studying this thing and never master it. Why did He do that? Because there's a lot more in the Bible than salvation. There's a lot here about how God wants us to live. Why? Well, the reason he gave us commandments, the reason he gave us instructions, the reason he wants to guide and direct us is not just so he's it's not just because he's a control freak. It's not just so that he can get pleasure out of bossing people around. It's not because he wants to make our lives miserable. Hasn't he proved that he loves us? It's because he knows the way of blessing. 
And he knows the hardship that comes from sin. He knows that sin is destructive. He knows that sin is deceitful. And because he loves us, he wants us to stay away from that. So when he, when he, when he told Israel, I gave thee this, these commandments for thy good. He says the same thing to us. I'm giving you instructions because if you follow these instructions, your life will be better because of it. Now, you can't control your outside circumstances. Uh, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Man's born in the trouble, sparks fly upward. Being saved doesn't change that. But if I'm saved and I'm following the word of God, no matter what happens on the outside, I've got blessing and peace and joy in my heart on the inside. The result of sin is something I need to avoid. The result of doing right is is something that will fill my life with joy and blessing. And that's why it matters how we live. How you live will have no bearing upon where you spend eternity. But how you live will have everything to do with how the, the measure or the level at which you enjoy this Christian life. Okay? Uh, look at Micah chapter 2 verse 7. Micah chapter 2 and verse 7. It matters how we live because there are consequences in this life we got to deal with. And 70 years isn't a long time compared to eternity. But 70 years can sure drag on. In this life, if it's spent in the misery of being outside the will of God. Micah chapter 2, verse, this world is full of heartache. And it doesn't completely escape saved people living right. But, saved people living right. Got a lot of of blessing to mix in with the sorrow living on a sin-cursed earth. Micah chapter 2, verse 7 says, O thou that art... Named the house of Jacob. Is the Spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Let me ask you this morning do you believe the Bible? Do you you believe everything God says is true? Do you believe the word of the Lord is right? The Bible says walking uprightly will do you good. Now, we are often deceived into thinking something different. We are often deceived that doing what I want is going to be good. That living in sin, it's going to be good. That there's going to be pleasure in sin, but it only lasts a season. The Bible says, the God who created this whole thing and knows everything says, my word does good to those that walk uprightly. So if you want good in your life, then obey the Lord. Not if you want to get saved. If you want to get saved, trust Jesus Christ. But if you want God's blessing, then do good works. Live for God. Obey the scriptures. It matters how we live because there are consequences. Look at Jeremiah 25 and verse number 7. Jeremiah 25 and verse number 7. Jeremiah 25, 7. Yet... Ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands. Look at this. To your own hurt. When we refuse to listen to the Lord, we're just hurting ourselves. Let's take Israel as the example. Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. Verse number 30. Just a little past Jeremiah there. Ezekiel 18. Verse number 30. The Bible says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your 
ruin. Okay, so why does God tell us how to live? Not, not, not so we can follow this path to salvation, not so we can go this process to becoming candidates for the grace of God. No, because he doesn't want us to ruin our lives. He doesn't want to destroy ourselves with sin. He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves with something that's wrong. Let me give you an illustration. Um, <clears throat> how many of you have ever been to New Smyrna Beach? Okay, beautiful place. It is uh, nice water, nice sandy beaches. Uh, there are the inlet and the jetties. It's just pretty. People like to fish there. People like to surf there. People like to swim there. New Smyrna Beach. It's a great little place. How many of you know? You probably do because you're from here. How many of you know that they say New Smyrna Beach is the shark capital of the world? Okay. Shark bite capital of the world. Now, thankfully, it's not like huge, great whites, all right? It's not Jaws. But but there are sharks in that water, and they bite people. And it happens in New Smyrna Beach more often than it happens anywhere else. Now, just, just walking, just wading out into the surf, just getting out there and splashing around the water, you're probably not going to see them. You might every now and then. See a little fin sticking up or something. But if you could get a drone, my brother-in-law did this. If you could get a drone and take that drone and fly it over the beach. Well, he got some incredible shots where he was seeing all kinds of sharks all over the place. Because he did not have a, a horizontal perspective. He had a vertical perspective. He wasn't down in the water he had this thing that was hovering up above the water. And when you change your perspective, it was a lot easier to see the dangers that you couldn't see when you're right there in the water yourself. Think about being in a jungle in Africa, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm making my way through the jungle and the grass and the, and the vegetation and the brush. I can't see the lions that are encircling me, okay? But if I've got a friend who's up in a helicopter flying above the jungle with a radio, he could see some things from that perspective that I wouldn't be able to see on the ground. Does that make sense? Okay, what am I saying? God has a lot higher perspective than we do. God is looking down on this life from eternity and he sees the end from the beginning and he's, he can see the sharks in the water that we can't see. He can see the lions in the jungle that we can't see. He can see the dangers that surround us and the, and the hurt and the heartache that sin brings. He can see the things that we can't see because he has a much higher perspective than we do. And what God tries to do is say, hey, that is going to hurt you. Hey, that is going to hurt you. Hey, that is going to hurt you. Don't live that way. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't think in this manner. Because if you do, it's not going to end well. So the, the way we live, it's not that it plays a part in our salvation, but it does play a huge part in our everyday existence. And there are consequences. And that will keep us living right. Ephesians chapter 6 repeats the promise from the Old Testament law. Honor thy father and mother that it may be well with thee. Thou mayest live long upon the earth. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 5. The Bible says, And ye have... 
forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now we get saved, you are God's child. If God's your father, he's not going to let you get out of line without bringing some form of correction into your life. God chastens his children because he loves his children. It's like any parent who loves their children will chasten them. So, uh, again, the question is, well, if I'm just saved by grace, then you're telling me it doesn't matter how I live. That's not at all what I'm telling you. Whether you're a lost woman or a saved independent Baptist, using the grace of God as an excuse or a misunderstanding of the grace of God as an excuse to live however you want, it certainly, it certainly matters how you live. Now, my judicial standing before God is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. My salvation is completely wrapped up in what he did for me. But my temporal condition, okay, standing in state, my temporal condition is all wrapped up in the choices that I make on a daily basis, on the way that I live as I go throughout the day, the level of obedience and adherence to the word of God, the commands of God, the instructions that God gave me. There are five points. That is point number one. We come back in a couple weeks, and we'll cover the rest of the lesson. Any questions on that this morning? Just remember, you you, you make whatever choice you want, but you can't choose the consequences. Those are built in to the choices that we make. And the consequences for doing right, they're great. Consequences for sin, you want to stay away from that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, sure do thank you for your word. And God, just how clearly you make these things. Lord, there's so many lost religious people that just don't get it. God, would you send your spirit to work in their hearts, convict them of sin. Then God, deliver us from the mindset as saved people that it doesn't matter how we live because it certainly does. Help us to live for you for all the right reasons. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.